0: Good worship set. God really just blew me away in that. But I'm thankful you guys are here. Like Taylor said earlier, today's going to be a great day. I believe God has some big plans for us this morning. Like I said, we're going to be doing baptisms in just a little bit. But before we get there, I believe that God has a word for us. So I believe God has something to speak to us. Have you guys ever been scared? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's some fear, right? Like, you're like, man, I don't know if I can do this. And, or maybe you've been scared of, like, a movie or whatever the case may be, but this really doesn't have a lot to do with the sermon, but I want to talk to you guys about some fear that I have. So, like, most of you know my parents were drug addicts. I grew up not knowing really them, and they both died of drug overdoses and all that stuff, and so my life has been really fearful, I had a lot of anxiety for most of my life. Because I was always like, man, I don't know what's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? Am I going to go to jail? Am I going to die? Am I going to kill somebody? Like, what's going to happen? So I had all this fear that really just was anxiety. And that anxiety is so bad, it would keep me from going in public. It would keep me from talking to people. And it was just like this prison that I constantly lived in. And now, the Lord has kind of restored that. And I don't have a lot of anxiety anymore because I don't have a lot of fear. Because I believe that Jesus conquers all fear. But... Some weeks, I just, real, I just feel really scared. You know, sometimes I'm just really scared about money. Like, y'all feel me on that one? Sometimes I'm just really scared because you're like, man, I got kids, I got a car payment, I got a house payment, I got insurance, I got groceries. How am I going to pay for all these things? Or sometimes I'm just really scared about maybe a relationship. I got a wife. I'm trying to uh, do the best I can for my wife. Maybe you have that stress on you. Maybe you have that fear. Maybe your job is just really unstable. And you're like, what about work? Am I going to keep my job? Am I going to have a job? My job going to continue to pay me? Are they going to downsize? Or am I going to have to look for something else? Maybe you're trying to finish college and you have a lot of fear about that. You're like, am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to make it happen? See, fear is this thing that plagues us. And I'm going to be real with you guys. But like, a fear that I have is as a pastor that people won't think that our church is successful. And how stupid of a fear is that? Because Jesus has already given us victory. But as a pastor, there's this pressure that you, your church has to be successful. Your church has to be successful. And this week, I was scared about that. And then God was like, why are you giving Satan real estate in your mind? Why are you letting him control you with a fear that is not even plausible? Because I already defeated all the fear of that on the cross. We already have victory. We already have victory. And God just told me like, don't have fear... Because the only thing that fear is, is Satan trying to control your mind. See, in reality, if we lose our job, what do we really lose? Well, you could lose your house, right? Or if you lose your job, you could lose your car. Is that going to kill you? See, we make these fears so great, but we don't remember we have family standing behind us who are really there with us no matter if we lose our job. If you came to church and told me you lost your job, I'd be like, how can I help you? You got a mortgage, we'll pay it. Because family in our immediate and in our church is here for you. (coughs) See, Jesus had a father. That's why when he experienced fear, he said, Satan, get behind me. I got this. And sometimes it's not even a fear or something like that. But sometimes we're so fearful that we'll never amount to what we thought we would amount to. How how many of you for real does that weigh on you? Like, you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be successful. I don't know if I'm going to live up to what I thought I was going to live up to. When I was six years old, I had this dream, and now I'm 36 years old, and I just don't know. I'm not a firefighting astronaut race car driver. I drive a bread delivery truck. What's up with that? Or maybe it's the fear that God's calling you to something greater than you think that you can handle. Maybe in your mind you know that you are supposed to do something world-changing. But you say, uh, God, do you know who I am? Like, I, I suck. Like, I'm not that good. You sure, you sure you want to move forward with this and me? Or maybe it's sickness and you're just so scared because you say, well, I'm sick. What am I supposed to do with this time? Well, here's what you're supposed to do. Live for the power of Jesus Christ that he's put inside of you. He's already given you victory. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do? One thing you knew you could not fail, there would be no failure. What would you do? You have that. God has called you to something great. You will not fail. You won't fail. Now, to the world, it might look like you failed. And yourself, you're going to be like, man, I failed. But you never fail when you take a risk that is inspired by faith. I can promise you that. And if you're like, okay, let me talk to you about this. Let's talk because I know for a fact that if you take a risk inspired by faith, you will never fail. And even if it doesn't turn out how you thought it was, it's still a victory. How cool is that? How cool is that? Fear <coughs> is something that holds us back from accomplishing the great things that God has called us to. Have you guys ever been hungry? Yeah? Like, have you ever been a little angry? Like, you're like, if I don't get some tostadas in like five seconds, it's about to be real bad up in here. Like, if I don't get some Taco Bell in like three and a half minutes, I don't know if this car is going to survive it. You know, or you've been like, man, I gotta have that. Like, you get a little hangry, you get a little emotional. No matter who you are, if you're hungry, you act a little bit different. I know some people who cry when they're hungry. Like, they just, they just break down. I know some people who say some pretty mean stuff when they're hungry. And I know some people who's like, I just don't want to talk to you. When I get food, we can continue this conversation. But for now, you get out of my face or we're going to end up in a divorce. <laughs> like, go get me a Snickers. Like, let's make this happen. What are you doing here? Like, hunger pain is hard. Like, I don't know if y'all ever had it, but you wake up at like 4 a.m. And you're like, man, I need to eat breakfast. And you're like, it's 4 a.m. But I got this pain inside of it. I got this hunger. Right? And only certain things can fill that hunger. Because I don't care who you are. If you're hungry for, I don't know, what do people like? Uh, if you're hungry for a cheeseburger and you get a salad, you're not good. You're like, man, what about the cheeseburger? Or if you're hungry for a Snickers and you get a Kit Kat, you're like, what the crap? Don't snap me off one of these. Where's that Snickers? Like, when you're hungry for something, only that thing will fulfill it. I'm be real. Brewster's has this ice cream called Oreo Cheesecake. They never have it. Is it seasonal or what? Does somebody work at Brewster's and they kind of film me in on this? Like, what is going on with the Oreo Cheesecake? I've had it twice. Every time I go, I'm like, do you guys got the rich? They're like, no, we just got traditional Oreo. And I'm like, why are you here then? (laughs) Your business is built around this. Nobody else likes anything else on the menu. But it's like, when I went to, and yesterday I got ice cream actually. And I ended up with some kind of apple stuff. And I hated it. I gave it to Sarah because I was like, this is not good. This is not Oreo cheesecake. It's not satisfying my hunger. Because when you're hungry, when you have that hunger, you that one specific thing. When you're hungry, there's only one thing that can fill that pain. You might get something, but it's just not as good. Like, it'll make the pain go a little bit away, but you're still thinking in your head, man, that Oreo cheesecake. I wish I could just make it. You know what I mean? Like, you're still thinking about that. That happens in Scripture, too. We're going to look at that today because we're starting a new series. It's called Holy Discontent. Holy Discontent. Because no matter what, when we're hungry and we get the wrong thing, we're discontent with it. Have you guys ever felt discontent? Yeah, like you feel discontent. It's like you buy a new car and then two years later you're like, this car's a little bit older now. I'm really discontent with it. This is a 2016. They got a 2020. And you start like running the numbers and you're like, I can do it. If I cut out groceries, I'll get that 2020. Like I can do it. And every time you see one, you're like, oh my gosh. How are they gonna get that? I know they work at Wendy's. You're like, I'm over here working it. they're working at Wendy's, I got this 2020. What the heck? Or you see somebody with really cool shoes like Brooks, and you're like, I'm really discontent with my shoes now. That's why I'm not wearing them. Because I saw Brooks and I was like, how want anybody see these crappy things after she brings himself in here? You become discontent with it. Sometimes you become discontent with your relationship. Maybe that's significant. Others not doing the things they're supposed to do. And you start to say, well, what about this person? Or you start to say, well, what this person looks good. This person, uh, they've fallen off. This person looks real good. And you become discontent with it. See, discontent is typically a bad thing. Because it means we're not happy with what we have. But I believe in scripture, just like the hunger pain this plays in, we all have a holy discontent. Something that is wrong with the world that Christ has called us to, that we are so discontent and so hungry to fix, that no matter what we do, God keeps raising our eyes back to it. So as we walk through this series for the next 12 weeks, we're going to walk through this book of Nehemiah. And we're going to check out on this dude. Now, Nehemiah is a cool name, right? Do you guys know anybody named Nehemiah? No? Yeah, because it's a really weird name. And if you name your kid Nehemiah, you're just asking them to get beat up. You're writing a letter on their back. Hey, beat my kid up. This is the one. (laughs) Like, Nehemiah, we're going to explore Nehemiah. We're going to look at Nehemiah. We're going to learn who Nehemiah is. So before we jump into learning about hunger and holy discontent, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Thank you that you are so good, that you are so powerful. Father God, that your son was sent for us, Lord. Father God, we have a hunger inside of us to be greater than what we are because you are greater than what we are. Father God, we have this hunger inside of us because we are living outside of what you have called us to be. Lord God, let us love you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and with all of our souls. Father God, let us love other people the way that you love them. And Lord God, let us pursue the passion, the desire, the fire, and the hunger that you have given us with all that we are because there is no failure. Father God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys jump in your Bibles. Turn them to Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, the numbers are different, but in my Bible it's 401. It's in the Old Testament. It comes right after 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. It's right before something else. I don't know. You guys act like I know the Bible or something. But Nehemiah chapter 1 starting in verse 1. It says the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. And also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem has broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive And your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you before you day and night, your servant, the the servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins of the Israelites, including myself and my father's house. Have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees and laws gave to you by your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're exiled, people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place in my name. They are your servants and people whom you redeemed of your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant, the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of the man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So in this we see Nehemiah and Nehemiah's brother rolls up on him and he's like, yeah, Jerusalem, it's a mess. Now, a couple weeks ago, we heard about Jerusalem when Barry preached and they were rebuilding this temple. Now, they were rebuilding this temple and Nehemiah happens just after the temple had been rebuilt. It It wasn't like it used to be, but it had been rebuilt. Ezra had completed a lot of that. And Nehemiah comes and he hears the temple is completed, but the walls are broken down. Now, walls seem like a pretty cool thing, right? Like walls protect you. If you're a city and you have really strong walls, especially back then, those will protect you from other armies because they just can't walk right in, right? That's why we have locks on our doors. People just can't bust up in there. See, in the ancient times, the walls were protection of the city, but the walls also showed the power of the God that they served. So Nehemiah hears about these walls being broken down, and you might be like, well, that's not a big deal. But Nehemiah knows the temple is there. Nehemiah knows that there's Israelites there. He knows that they've been in Babylonian captivity for 20 years. Persian captivity for 20 years, Babylonian captivity before that. And Nehemiah hears the walls are broken down and it says he started to weep. He started to weep because the God of Israel was being mocked and ridiculed because the walls were torn down. And if the walls were torn down, it showed that there was a weak God. So people were saying, Oh, your God's supposed to be good. Why does the city look like crap? Your God's supposed to be so great. Why does he have no protection for the temple where they worship him? And Nehemiah hears about this and he starts to weep. He starts to get hungry for something. He starts to say, There's something that God is calling me to. That's why I'm so emotional. That's why I'm weeping. There's something that I'm supposed to do. Then he starts to pray. He starts to pray to God and he reminds God of his promises. God, you said if we disobeyed you, you would take us to this place. But if we return to you, you would reconcile us. Isn't that awesome? Let's just stop right there for a second. Isn't that great? Like even when we disobey God, when we return to him, he's still there. See what I'm saying? Like, you can run away. You can take the book back and be like, God, we're through. And you run away and be like, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to party. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Good news is, when you're done with the tuna, the caviar's still there. Amen. When you're done with the mess, God's still waiting for you. He's not locked the door and be like, well, Tyler, you're done. Click. No, he's like, hey, it's you. Come on. Come in. Let's have a feast. Where of the prodigal son, right? He says, man, I want to go out. I want to sleep with prostitutes. I want to have money. I want to eat and I want to drink. He says, give me my inheritance. Let me roll out. And he does. And he goes and lives that life. And he ends up sleeping with pigs, eating pig pots. And he says, God, my, the servants of my father eat better than this. I'm going to go back and I'm going to be a servant to my father. And he leaves and he says, Dad, just let me serve you. Like let me, let me take care of the pigs. Just give me somewhere to stay and something to eat. And God says, no. Nah.
1: Get him a robe.
0: Get him a calf. Give him a ring. My son is home. How good is that? That we always have the option of returning to the Father. That the Father never locks the door on us, but he's always there for us. See, Nehemiah knows that and he prays that to God. God, bring your people back, Lord. They've had enough trouble, Father. Bring them back to the place where you called them and the place that you gave them. And let's start rebuilding the wall so they have a place to be. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer, it says in Scripture. So that means this dude was the secret service of the king. He literally checked the cup the king drank for to make sure there was no poison in it. If you didn't know, back in those days, like that's how you killed a king is you poisoned him. So the cupbearer was like the Secret Service. He was really important. He was supposed to be here. He was essential to what was happening in the kingdom because he was keeping the king alive. That's weird. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, so he lived in a palace. He was all set, right? Like He had a kingdom that he was living up in. His only job was to make sure nobody killed this king. Literally was like, okay, this cup looks good. We're cool. That was his occupation. That's how he got paid. That's how he made a living. That's the easiest job I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, just make sure nobody kills him. Okay, and you get to live in, and I get to live here? Yeah, you get to live in this palace. It's yours. You, you just hang out. He says, okay. So he's a cupbearer, but he's an Israelite. He's brought there through Babylonian captivity, and now Persia has taken over. So he's a slave, but he lives in the palace, so that's pretty cool. He's got a pretty cushy life. Then he hears about Israel and Judah and how the walls have been destroyed. He starts to cry. Does that ever happen to you? You're living your luxurious life, and you hear of somebody who doesn't have something? Does it ever break your heart? Or maybe you're watching the news and you hear about um, all the stuff going on with school shootings. Or you hear about all the stuff going on in Israel. Or you hear about all the stuff going on in other countries. Or maybe you just hear about sex trafficking. Does that break your heart? And when it breaks your heart, what do you do with it? Do you say somebody should do something about that? Are you like, man, somebody should do something about that. Or maybe a homeless guy walks up to you and he's like, I ain't got no shoes. And you're like, I'm going to pray for you. Somebody should do something about that. Or you hear about racism and you're like, man, somebody should do something about that. Like, I hate that. That's so bad. And you post it on your Instagram. be like, Yeah, racism is bad. Somebody should do something about that. When your heart is broken, what do you do with it? When you hear about the hurt in the world and the brokenness in the world, do you say somebody should do something about that or you do, you do something about that. Let me tell you something, and this is maybe new information, but if you post about it on Facebook, it's not going nowhere. If you post about it on Instagram, it ain't changing nobody's heart. You can be like, man, uh, racism is so bad and it's this and sex trafficking, it's awful and I'm against it, X. Big freaking deal. If we just speak, but we never do, what will we accomplish in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? If we just write about it, what's going to happen? When it breaks your heart, do you pray about it? When it breaks your heart, do you feel a hunger? Every single one of you. No matter where you're from and no matter where you're going, no matter where you are currently, you have a hunger inside of you. You have something that breaks your heart. And every time you hear about it, you're like, oh my gosh, I need to do something about this. But every time you hear about it, you say, but I'm just me. How can I do anything? How can I do anything? I'm me. Somebody with some political sway or somebody with more money or somebody with more knowledge needs to do something. It can't be me. Well, let me tell you something. It can be you. Because you're more valuable. You're more amazing. You're more terrific than anybody else in the entire world because Jesus died for you. Nehemiah was just a cupbearer. He wasn't educated. He wasn't a genius. He lived in a palace. But God wanted him to do something, so it brought it up. And when he heard it, he wept. He knew something was going on. He knew God was giving him a hunger. And he took that hunger and he took it before God. See, you have a hunger, but your fear holds you back. You have a holy discontent. Something that only you can accomplish. Something that is so messed up, something that you are so sick of hearing about, something that you are so tired of, that you are so unhappy with, that is from the Father, that you're ready to see it change. That's the difference between a holy and a discontent. See, discontent, selfish. Holy discontent, for the kingdom. You have a holy discontent. When something breaks your heart, there's a reason it breaks your heart. Because the same stuff that breaks your heart does not break mine. We might cross on some. Not everything. Because you've been specifically designed, you've been specifically equipped, the Father knew you in your mother's womb and created you for a specific purpose. Have you ever heard somebody say, Well, what's my purpose? What, what am I supposed to do? What's my career? Uh, what am I called to? You're called to change the world, you're called to be a world changer. You're called to be a son and a daughter that transforms this place to where when before you were here, everything, and, uh, everything was in complete disarray until you came in. So how do you learn what that is? How do you learn what your holy discontent is? How do you learn what your hunger is? Well, you pay attention to the regular conversations. Because you could be having a regular conversation with somebody, and it could change the entire trajectory of your entire life. That's what happened with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was like, oh, there's my brother. What's up, man? What's been going on? Well, the walls in Jerusalem are like, what? And he started to cry, and he said he mourned. Mourned is a word that used when somebody is died. He starts to mourn Jerusalem. But it was just an everyday conversation. What kind of everyday conversations are you having where God is speaking something to you, but you just think it's an everyday conversation? Like maybe you're talking to your friend, Melanie. And Melanie just likes to talk about a lot of stuff that doesn't matter. Right? Like, she likes to talk about her shampoo. She likes to talk about how she changed her part to the other side, which is what I did, when my hair looks all messed up. And uh, she likes to talk about all this stuff you don't care about. Or maybe you're just talking to me. And uh, she likes to talk about this, and you're just like, oh, yeah, that's awful. Yeah. Well, what's happening? Like, what's this snap from? We got a 38-day snap streak. What's going on up in here? You know what I mean? You're like, Melanie, that's cool. Yeah. You keep on talking. I'm going to keep looking here. I'm listening, though. Like, how many of you say that? Like, you keep going. I'm listening. Put your headphones in. I'm listening! How many of us miss out on the blessing of every moment by not valuing the moment? I have two kids. Sometimes Ellie comes up. Ellie's two years old. Sometimes she comes up to me and babbles. I don't know what she's talking about. But she knows if I'm listening or not. Because she'll yell at me if I'm not listening. And it's like, sometimes I'm just like, man, I just wish you would be quiet. (laughs) Like, I don't care about the horse and how the piggy rode him. Like, that doesn't matter to me. But then I'm like, man, this is valuable time with my little girl, right? i got to value that moment. Nehemiah was talking to his brother. How many of you talk to your brother or sister, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't care that your basement flooded. I don't care that you... Ate a banana for breakfast. <laughs> Worthless information. Denise. My sister's name is Denise. But it's just like so many times we're listening to them and we're just deflecting and we're saying, well, that's great, but we're not actually listening and receiving what they're saying. What if in every moment there's a purpose and there's a value? See, what if we paid attention to the moments? What if when we heard something that broke our heart in the media, we said, This is my holy discontent. Now, it can't be everything. You can't just be like, yeah, let's do 107 different things. Let's change the world 107 different ways. No, but what if you picked one that broke your heart, that you mourned for, that for days it wouldn't leave you? Now, we've all had an encounter like this. We have all had an encounter where it broke our heart and where it just messes us up for days. But then we say, oh, somebody will do something about that. Now, what about sex trafficking? 85 is the busiest route in the world for sex trafficking. What if we were just like, I want to do something about that? Maybe you don't have to start a new company who does something about that. Maybe there's already a place in Greenville called Switch, where they're constantly asking people to come in and just talk to the women. Or where they just need people to come in and organize their closets. What if you could change the world by organizing someone's closet? Would you do it? Or would you say, no, this doesn't matter? What if you could change the world by standing in a soup kitchen and looking homeless people in the face and saying, here's your soup, you're valuable, and you are loved? Would we do it? Or what if you could change the world by going to the Walmart and looking at the cashier and saying, you're amazing? This place is awful. But you're amazing. I know all the stuff that's going on up in here. And I don't know if you've had 13 people yell at you today. Because the milk was three cents more than it normally is. But you're awesome. You're amazing. You're terrific. Or what if there was somebody getting a divorce. And you knew it. And you went up to them and said, man, this is the worst. But I still love you. I feel for you. Do you want to speak to me about this? Do you want to tell me about this? Instead of saying, oh, it's okay. You're going to do great. There's a million other people out there. No, let's not worry about the million other people. Let's worry about you. What if you could change the world by just having a conversation? As simple as that. Because what breaks your heart? is a holy discontent that the Father is preparing you for that will change the world through your movement and action of faith. You might work at a restaurant. You might be a waiter. You might be a waitress. That's awesome. You might be thinking, I can't wait till I get out of here. No, what if you can change the world? What if that is your holy discontent? What if your purpose is to be a waiter or waitress and be the most amazing, loving waiter or waitress that there ever was, even to the jerks who tip you 75 cents because they didn't fill up your cup fast enough? What if you still loved them really, really well? Or what if it was to your boss who's just a, he's a jerk, I was going to say, no, no, he's just a jerk. Like every time you go in there, he's just yelling at you. He's just like, you did this wrong. You did that wrong. Or he's micromanaging. He's like, let me show you how to do this. Oh, you don't know what two plus two is? It's four idiot. Like what? What if you just loved him really, really well? And that was your holy discontent. Would you be okay with that? See, sometimes we miss out on the big, major way to change the world because they look small to us. We say, well, I can't be a pastor. Well, that's okay. He can do it. I'm just going to do my own thing. Or you say, well, I'm not going to be president of the United States. What change can I really have? Or say, I work in a factory. Or I'm a printer salesman or a printer repairman and salesman. What kind of change can I have in this world? You don't have to be the president to change the world. You don't have to be a CEO to change the world. You don't have to be a manager to change the world. You can be a waiter or waitress. You can be a printer salesman. You can work at BMW. You can be a college student. And you can change the world through the power of Jesus Christ. Here's why. Because Jesus loves you. And that love compels. And that love transforms. And that love is all that you need to make a difference in the world. Because if you can release that love from you. If you can be a cup that is overflowing into the world. You are going to change the world through this simple thing called love. Nehemiah was just building a wall. What difference was it going to have? See, the wall protected the temple. The wall protected where they worshiped Jesus. The wall protected the heart. See, the temple is this amazing piece of us, which is our heart. And when he rebuilds the wall, he's rebuilding the wall to protect the temple. But when we start to follow our holiness content, we are repairing the wall that protects us. That protects our heart. See, so you don't think you're worth You don't think you can change the world. You don't think you're good enough. You don't think you are the one that God has chosen. You think that you're not good enough. You think that there's no value in you. You think that there's no way you can change the world. But let me tell you something. I believe more than any other person in this entire world right now that everybody in here can have an impact on the world where it transforms lives. I believe that. I believe you can be the change. You can be the transformation. You want racism to end? Start making steps toward it, and maybe it won't happen right now, but I promise you, you can change that. Not on your own, but through the power of Jesus Christ. I used to be a drug dealer. That was me. Now I love people. I don't want to kill them all the time. I don't look at them as money anymore. I look at them as valuable. And I've seen people taken from death to life who used to be really messed up and now they're world changers. Because my holy discontent is people. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care about the mistakes that you've made. I don't care about where you work. I just truly and deeply care about you. No matter how messed up you are, I'm willing to meet with you. No matter how screwed up you are, I'm willing to tell you about who Jesus is. No matter what kind of financial trouble you're in, I'm willing to sit with you. See, because my holy discontent is to see people receive the value, to see people understand the love that Jesus has for them. And You guys are amazing. When I stand up here, I look at y'all. And I'm like, man, these people are really screwed up. But then I'm like, man, these people are really beautiful. Because Jesus loves them. And I'm the pastor of this church. I want to leave this church for another church in Spartanburg. Because I have the best view right here. You know what I get to look at every Sunday? Sons and daughters. You know what I get to look at every Sunday? People who are screwed up. People who have a lot of problems, people who have marital problems, people who have money problems, people who have car problems, people who have all of these things. And I get to look at you and say, yeah, that's mine. <laughs> Jesus has given me them to shepherd. Like, how good is that? Oh, you got a CEO? I don't care about him. I'm more interested with these people right here. Oh, you got a doctor? That's really cool. I got someone who's a barista. You, you got this? I got a nanny. Her name's Sarah. She's awesome. Right? Like, that's who I got. I got Braden. Braden works third shift. I got him. He's better than Jim. Who cares about Jim? Jim's not mine. Jim's yours. I like Brayden more. See, so you guys are amazing. God has given you an ability. You might think you're not talented. You may think you're too old. You may think you're too worn out. You may think that you don't have the ability. You may think that you're not valuable. Let me tell you something. You are amazing. You are Nehemiah. Let's take the steps to mourn for the brokenness in the world and to see the transformation of the Holy Spirit within our lives and within the world. Let's change the places that we work at. Let's change the places we go to school. Let's change the places we eat at and the places we live. Let's be the world changers. Your holiness today is not the same as mine. You have your own separate one. Maybe yours is for M. Immigration. maybe yours is for uh, giving people medical care maybe yours is for women or maybe yours is for uh, training up men or maybe yours is for children that's amazing let's be the church and let's have all of our holiness consents so we can hit everywhere area and make every transformation and see Jesus glorified in Spartanburg what if we did that? are you guys ready? Are you guys ready to explore what your holy discontent is? Are you ready to explore your purpose and your call? Are you ready to walk into a relationship with Jesus Christ where it's not just, oh, I have to do these things, but man, I get to be with Jesus? Are you ready to see the world transformed? Are you ready to see your workplace look completely different, your college look completely different, your neighborhood look completely different? Are you ready to see trailer parks? Turned into places where it doesn't look like everybody's just sad, but it looks like, man, I get to live here. Are you ready to walk into a trailer park where the trailers are falling down? And people are so happy. Because people are loving them so well. And people are so happy because churches are coming in and they're helping them repair. Are you guys ready to see people who work at offices have a printer guy walk in and be like, I just want to show you love? Are you guys ready to see your neighbors come to know the Lord? Are you guys ready to see immigration corrected? Are you guys ready to see racism trampled? Are you guys ready to see sex trafficking in? Because people are understanding how valuable they are. Are you guys ready? Ready to love God and love other people. Are you guys ready to see that happen? Impact Drayton thats what we're about. Loving God and loving other people. And we got something I want to show you guys real fast. This is something that's really, really cool. okay? So most of you know our name of our church is Impact Drayton. Right? Does everybody know that? Okay. If you're new, first time, we're Impact Drayton. That's our name. That's really cool, right? But we have a really ugly logo. It just says Impact Drayton. So I wanted a logo that would emphasize who we are with our loving God and loving others. So now you will no longer see, the, most of the time, the big drawn-out impact dragon. You will see this. ID. Now, it's really cool because on this emphasizes our vision. We have the vertical, which is love God, and we have the horizontal, which is love others. The four squares actually represent Genesis chapter 4. It actually also represents a home that we are building where we are family inside of it, loving God and loving other people. So this is our new logo. We're gonna have some t-shirts printed up. You can sign up for one of those next week. We're gonna have a sign-up sheet where you can grab a t-shirt. I think they're gonna be like 14 bucks. Super cheap. Good quality. I'm making them myself. No, I'm just kidding, I'm gonna buy them. But see, we want to live out this everywhere that we go. That's why we changed our logo. So that people can see, love God, love others in everything that we do. Because we believe they're valuable, just as I believe you're valuable. So today, as we leave here, as we go and we get lunch and get what we want, because we're hungry, we don't wanna get hangry, and we leave here with that hunger, what's your hunger for? What's your hunger for? If your hunger is to see women empowered. Go do it. Pray about it and prepare your heart to do it. If your women, if your uh, passion and your holiness, content and your hunger is for drug addicts to get off drugs, let's do it. If your hunger <coughs> is to see men become fathers, let's do it. If your hunger is to help single moms, let's do it. If your hunger is to end racism, let's get on it. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do everything I can to help you to empower you. But the thing is, Jesus already empowered you, He's already made you capable, and He's already died for you. Because no matter what, our biggest victory is that Jesus came and died for sinners like us. We separated ourselves from Him through our stupid decisions, but He said, I still love you. And He came, and He died on a cross. Three days later, He was resurrected. Three days later, he gave you your hunger to see the world transformed. One man, nobody thought he was anything. Everybody thought he was a jerk. Everybody thought he was just this normal dude who looked like crap, wasn't very attractive. Everybody thought this is who he was. But then he said, Father, forgive them. They not know what they do. And he died for you. He died for them. He died for us. You don't need any more motivation than knowing your love by the greatest God to ever be the beginning and the end the only God the king of kings what more motivation do you need? the world will tell you you're not good enough the world will tell you you're messed up the world will tell you your past disqualifies you but Jesus will tell you not it's just brought you right here to where I'm ready to use you it's just brought you right here to where you're ready to change the world your past is valuable Every moment you've experienced is valuable. Every moment you're going to experience is valuable. So let's walk embracing the moments. Embracing the hunger. And your <coughs> hunger turns to something. Next week we're going to learn more about